Okay. I'll let you. I'll let you do the introduction this time because okay, no the worries. energy is ramping up. Okay, no worries, honey. <laughs> mm. Everybody. Welcome to episode two, season two of Belgariad and Beyond. This is a show where we explore magical worlds chapter by chapter with puppies in the background sometimes, beginning with the Belgariad series of books by David Eddings. And we've just started season two. Uh, uh, and this season we're talking about Queen of Sorcery. My name's Sandra Turnbull. I'm from the Goddess Kindled Universe and I'm here with my podcast partner my gorgeous gorgeous podcast partner Alicia hi Alicia welcome to the show hi I'm so glad to be back I'm sorry my dogs are just part of the show sometimes <laughs> I'm always saying that on my own podcast I'm like just the way it's gonna be if you don't like it sorry <laughs> yeah um, but I can't keep them quiet sometimes but yeah it's um really excited for this chapter I think I had a whole new We'll get into all of it, but it had like a whole new tone for me that I really enjoyed. Oh, interesting. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so last episode we we covered the prologue, um, which was like the history stuff. Yeah, that was a little bit over my head, even after, I mean, I had a lot more clarity after you explained a lot of it, but I was still kind of like, all right, oh, the history stuff, even with Lord of the Rings, the history yeah. stuff would kind of get me. I just don't think I absorb it when it's delivered in history format. I'm really glad that it it made sense after I explained it because I haven't listened back to the episode, but by the time, I I, I mean, I confused myself a couple of times through there trying to explain it it all. That's a lot of information. You almost feel like you're back in history class. Um, and history was never my strength. Well, I think I got, I think I get myself wrapped up because I'm trying to not, like totally info dump all over you and just give you enough so that things make sense. And then I realized that I can't make this other thing make sense unless I go right into that other other thing. Oh yeah. I know that. (laughs) Yeah. So, but anyway, I mean, as, as, as I think I said last week, I, I, these days when I read the book, I don't read the prologue. I just get straight into the story. Yep. So, So into Polgara's cup. Let's talk yeah. about our weeks. This is where we talk about, we call it Polgara's cup and we look into our potion and what we've mixed into our potion. And that depends on how our week has gone. So Alicia, how about you go first, darling? Okay. Um, <laughs> I was trying to look for a, a verb that was more like, um, I don't even know, just kind of like, like I went down um, in energy. Mm-hmm. But I put it was bitterish because it wasn't completely bitter. It was just a little bit off for me. And I know it's because the summer is approaching and I'm really trying to shift my mindset around summer mm-hmm. because in the past I've had a really negative point of view on summer, but I'm trying to let go of negativity. So I think my as a parent is one of the harder areas for me to let go of that. I don't know why, but I just, 
parenting isn't natural for me. I don't think it is for most, but it's something you have to work at all the time. And mm -hmm. for me, the negativity is easily just like brought up to the surface with one little thing. And so I'm trying to reframe all of that so that I don't have a summer of just constantly being frustrated with one thing or another with my kids home or just with life mm -hmm. <laughs> or trying to get my own, have my own time, not just for creativity, but for just my time to relax, mm -hmm. you know? So I'm trying to figure all of that out with a, a healthy point of view for me. Yep. And I thought yesterday I was doing good. And I had even listened to this podcast that had um, this quote that was so eye-opening for me. It said, anytime I'm not at peace, I am miscreating. And like, it just hit me of like, oh my God, like I get it. And I see how many times in the day I'm not at peace. Mm -hmm. So I told myself yesterday I was going to, I was going to, from this point on, I'm going to work, not work, but I'm going to be at peace as mm -hmm. much as possible. And then this morning, it just went like all downhill. And I didn't, from the morning, the moment I woke up, my daughter woke up like five minutes after me. I didn't have any of my meditation time. First day of summer, and I'm already like, okay, I was trying to stay calm. But it just kept going down, down, down. Mm -hmm. So I'm feeling a little bit of guilt about that. And I think too, I have also lost some of my own motivation towards my writing, publishing, all of that. Um, and so I also have guilt around that. So I'm just kind of, I guess, beating myself up right this week, trying to figure out how to get back into it yep. from my writing. And like I was recording my podcast and I, I'm even to the point where I'm just like, what's the point of this? Why am I doing this? Nobody's listening. Nobody cares. You know? it's not valuable and I'm just like beating myself down <laughs> Oh, honey. Um, so yeah that's just been my week and I'm trying to move out of it like this afternoon thankfully after we record I'm gonna have a good few hours before the girls come home mm. I'm not sure yet what I'm gonna do with that time but it'll be a good like release time for me whatever okay. it is well I mean the, the probably the biggest just the something to think about is uh, several times through what you were saying, you said you want to get away from something mm -hmm. and get away from the, the negativity or get away from the, the way that you're feeling and, and really, really, really getting away from anything we feel is by feeling it and looking at it and, yeah. and being close to it so that we can understand why it's showing up because the more yeah. that we try and distance ourselves from the things that make us uncomfortable the, the harder they chase us because mm -hmm. there's something there yeah I mean now that you say this I, I remember even yesterday hearing I don't know if I read it or heard it in that podcast too the exact thing of like no you need to I think it was what I was reading you need to face it and then you know acknowledge it's there embrace them let the feelings come out and then release them yeah don't try to push them away yeah. um and so i guess I, I i still guess i get stuck on like how do i actually yeah face them and okay. how i and and it sounds really harsh when you say you have to face them what i would say is that 
every time you feel them, you have the opportunity to just soften into them a little and wonder why they're so present. So rather than feeling like you have to do war with your emotions and your feelings. Yeah. Um, you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sort of. I do. I, I just often always in my reflection have a hard time finding the whys, like why, what's really causing this. Yep, yep, yep. So I need to just get better at that. Well, you don't need to do anything, my love. You're doing exactly what you need to be doing because you're doing it. And just the fact that you're wondering about these things and talking about them out loud, that's a big step even by itself. Yeah. But, yeah, that sums up my week. And we'll move on to yours, which sounds like a lot more eventful. I've been trying to think of the verb, the, the, the verb, the bitterish, bitterish. There is a word that means bitterish, but isn't bitterish. It's like, uh, I'm moving my tongue around like I can taste it, like I'm trying to taste the word. Um, yeah. Like, I almost want to say brackish, like a, like a pond gets brackish before it gets stagnant. It sort of gets like, if there's lots of foliage in the water, it gets really like tea and you, that's kind of uh-huh. I don't know that's kind I of think that might be more of a European word bitterish <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> we'll go bitterish okay so my, my week has been a series of different flavored herbal teas <laughs> <laughs> um, my girlfriend has um, been watching a really fascinating series about ancient herbs and yeah. herbal herbalism and i really i'm looking forward to watching it myself but it's all about the, the ways that we used to eat you know we would eat the plants and the herbs and it was just part of our diet so um we knew what to eat when something you know was happening in our bodies and now it's like the exception we eat all this stuff that isn't yeah um natural and then we go and we don't take the herbs we used to take so we've taken all the herbs and medicine out of our diet and then when we get sick we go and take this stuff that really isn't natural at all to try and make us better or that might be based on something that is natural but is definitely not natural anymore rather than having it just as part of our diet every day Mm -hmm. it just sounds really really interesting and it really seems to be going in depth in into the ways that different herbs um, affect our system and things that are good for like um, head fog and immune boosting and different sorts of things. And there was an episode, I can't remember what the topic was, but uh, it talked about coffee. Yeah. And how coffee is also a herb, but it's really not a good herb for us in the way that we can take some herbs that give us energy and that's fine, but and, and coffee does that. It gives us energy, but it depletes us as well. It doesn't give us anything else. So it's, it actually takes away from us rather than giving us energy, and that's all it gives us. It's like it's, it seems like this sort of yeah. um, sneaky little, um, you know, I'll give you this, but I'll take this other thing away with my other hand sort of scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she came downstairs and she's like she finished watching it she said right I'm not drinking coffee anymore wow and that's like a big deal she's Dutch mm-hmm. it's a big deal like yeah 
strong black coffee every day, multiple strong black coffees every day is like, you know, and so she's just stopped. And like, she would only drink tea when she was sick. And it was always mm-hmm. caramel, um, like a caramel rooibos or something like minty or something with lots of sugar <laughs> when she didn't feel well. And um, now, like we've, almost de- like we've almost depleted our herbal tea stock. <laughs> We're going to have to go wow. get more. Yeah, so I'm really, I'm looking forward to watching this show because it sounds very powerful. <laughs> yeah, it does sound really interesting. I'd be interested. If I can get access to it, um, oh, to see it I'll, too. I'll give you the, I'll give you the details, and I'll put the I'll put um, a note about what it is in the show notes. So if anyone else is interested, they can go out and um, have a look for it. It was something that it was one of those you know series watch for free, watch live for free, like stream it live for free kind mm-hmm. of thing. And it's like a nine part documentary like series. It's a I don't know what day she's up to, but. Um, five or six maybe okay yeah I mean that's a huge thing to give up coffee I know because I still I'm, I'm still back and forth on it so it's not easy it's not an easy thing to Mm-mm. quit when you're especially when you and I only have one cup a day but and I have to do decaf mm. but it still has almost like that addictive quality to it that mm-hmm. makes it really hard oh I'm but, yawning again oh. sorry oh, <laughs> Sorry, I stayed up late watching um, The Great British Bake Off. (laughs) (laughs) I discovered a way to watch it and I watched the entire first season yesterday. (laughs) Wow. Anyway. (laughs) It's like, oh, it's the best show in the world, I've decided. (laughs) Okay, so that's our week. Now let's go into Garion's view, darling. All right. So I might re- completely mispronounce this, but Gary. Oh, oh, yeah, that's something I want to talk to you about. <laughs> Gary and the crew, as I'm calling them, are hanging out in the ruins of Voakun. Is that it? That's what it says. Sounds like in my head. Because every time I was reading it to myself, I kept hearing raccoon. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> An odd name. Okay, but um, so Garion seems to still be feeling like secluded from the rest a little bit. He's just wandering alone, feeling kind of like how I'm feeling right now, just really <laughs> down and like uh, life sucks kind of feeling. But he, um, you know, he sees Wolf and Aunt Pole having some deep conversations and he goes and talks to them for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he wanders off to like the what used to be like one of the entrances of the place, I mm-hmm. think. And is there, he can overhear, he can't see anything because it's so foggy, but he overhears people talking and then somebody rides in um, and they, he has a little bit of a face off with this new character, <laughs> which again, the name I might butcher, but is, I say it as Leldorin, uh, Leldorin. I, I, in my head, it sounds like Leldorin, but that's because I'm Australian. Yeah. Laldoran. Well, so Laldoran is probably closer to what the author might have meant because he's not Australian. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, that's really the summary of the chapter. Yep, it is indeed. 
It's a lovely soft chapter. I really like this chapter. Kind of gets us in. And so you talk about, you, you were saying that it, um, it had a different tone for you um, than the last book. I'm interested to know more about that. Yeah, it, it instantly, I like the way like he instantly, in chapter one, it was like two paragraphs of kind of just summarizing the setting, uh, relating a little bit to what we just had read in the prologue. Mm-hmm. And then it just jumped right into what Garion was doing. So we're right back with, you know, the character we know. But what I really liked is it had just like this vibe of, I could visualize the place so much clearer than any other place I had read in the first book. I don't oh, know. I understand that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I don't know if his writing style changed a little bit. I can't really tell it much of a difference, but I really just felt I could feel like I could feel the coolness of the mist and the, you I could what? envision it, you know? It feels more, it feels romantic, and I love. I'd like. I'd like to think that it's really purposefully done, because this. You know, we'll get into it later. But the way Aunt Paul is in this place, the way he's writing seems to reflect the way she's feeling about being in this place. That really soft, romantic kind of poignant. I get this sense of poignancy through the through through. You know, mm-hmm. that's yeah. how it feels to me. Yeah, I would definitely, I would say romantic is a good word for it. I think it's very mellow and and calming. It had a calming sense. Like they're not, there's no threat right now. There's there's fog everywhere. So nobody can really see anything that nobody really knows they're there. And um, they seem to have a nice little hideout indoors with the fire going and um, everything does get like that. Like you get a really thick mist or snowfall. Mm-hmm. And everything gets sort of quiet and yeah. hushed. Like there's this hush to everything. Mm-hmm. And that's how this chapter feels, I think. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. I really, really liked it. It took me more into fantasy, I think, than the first book did. I understand, I understand what you're saying. Oh, that's so nice. Oh, cool. Yeah, so so they're in this place called Vowakun. And this is the first... Like they've gone into, uh, this is in Arendia. Okay. And that is equivalent to something from the last book? Like Arendia? Yeah. No. So Arendia is not, is not part of the Alorn kingdom. Okay. Okay. So Arendia is Mimba and Asturia. If you remember in the prologue, it talked about the two monarchs that Polgara and Belgarath made marry right these are their kingdoms or their their okay. their countries and now is this like a cross like i'm looking at the map right now so is arendia like across the great sea from where we were in the last book did they like cross a big ocean do you know oh i'm trying to or yeah. is hey, it hey, looks I'm like maybe see, mountain ranges let me see if i can bring up the map Oh, I see Sundaria right there. You see, it's on the rise, so, I think. Or is it right? Yeah, so they must have gone through the mountains and through a forest to get to Arendia instead. No, but they've come from Cherik, which was across the ocean. Oh, right. But I think that, I think that Cherik is, is north of this place. I think it's north okay. of, of um, 
Sendaria. Let me just see if I can get a map up. Okay, let me bring this up. Okay, Sendaria. Yeah, so where you're looking, where that forest mm -hmm. is. Right. Okay, so that forest on the right of that is Ulgo land, but up, but up. Okay, okay. So from Arendia, if you were to go up through that forest and keep going north, you would come to Sindaria. So mm -hmm. Sindaria is just north of that forest, up going that way, and that goes up to Cherik. So okay. they might, they could have. I think probably they've sailed around Sindaria and landed in Arendia. So they traveled a pretty far away then from book one to book two. Yes. So that was like a big. So big they've travel. had a, they've had a big ocean voyage. And I think that's touched on in the chapter because they talk about, oh, um, about passing, about having Eris tide while they were in the, while they were at sea during the voyage which is like their Christmas yeah. celebration, their midwinter celebration. Right. So they must That's have right been, yeah. So I thought, so they've sailed around the coast and come in that way. Okay. But yeah, at the start of the chapter, Garion's sort of really, he's very contem contem contemplative, contemplative. Let me be Australian again. <laughs> very contemplative and sort of really thinking about uh, the fact that magic is real. He can't deny it anymore. Polgara is his aunt. Belgarath is his grandfather. And um, he's kind of just sort of trying to come to grips with it all, but he's feeling quite mournful because mournful is the word they use because his memories of his home, his childhood home are kind of slipping away and he can't grab them and he can't picture the faces of his friends so clearly. And Yeah. Yeah. I, I, felt that when he was like going remembering Faldor's farm and how Aunt Paul was just Mistress Paul then and everything seemed easy enough. Yeah. Wondering if he'd ever see his friends again. And yeah, I mean that's some serious stuff to think about when you're out on this adventure, not knowing what's gonna happen, if you're gonna survive, you'll ever see home again. And and I I I love the way it talks about the change. Everything was changing. That was the whole problem. Like he in in his narrative in his mind is categorizing it as a problem. Change is a problem. It used to be so simple, and now it's not. Right. Yeah. And then he's also mentioning how Aunt Paul and Mister Wolf have changed so much from what he knew them as. Yes. You know. Which is true. You know, yeah. the, the, the whole um, shock of Aunt Paul changing into someone pretending to be a rich noblewoman, which probably mm -hmm. isn't such a, I think Mistress Paul was the pretense, but when you've grown up mm -hmm. with that. Yeah. Well, I think that's what hurts him so much about it is that he realizes his whole life, she was basically kind of putting a, a face on for him. Yeah. He didn't really know her. That would be a, that would be yeah. That's the first time I've thought about that, you know. Yeah, it it is for a child like the the person that you come to know and trust to go to when you're hurt or scared or whatever, and then when you're an adult or almost adult, find out they're not really that person after all. It's like, well, is everything that I trusted in them just a lie then? You know. I mean, it's not, of course. No, no, of course. Right. 
must be, it's part of her or she wouldn't have been able to be that way. And I don't think that yeah. the, 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 the caring and the love was right. pretended, but no, but it's such a, such a, like her perspective is so much larger and longer than Garion's little tiny, tiny life. That's just started like he's 15 or something. And right. you know, oh, I don't know. I, I, it would be so easy to just dismiss his concerns and his cares. I imagine because her life has so much vaster scope for what's going on and but she doesn't she's so in she's like she's so um that she is so his mother like all of the things that piss him off and you know she, she tells him what to do and she cares about him and dresses him and tell you know cooks for him and stuff right. like that. so it's not like she is removed but she I don't even know what I'm trying to say. This is this is just I'm trying to comprehend the vastness of her perspective. I haven't even got to Belgarets. It's kind of like last week when we were talking about how the gods would perceive everything, right? Yeah. It's it's almost the same with the sorcerers. Like I don't think we could even begin to know because we're not sorcerers. <laughs> you know what? Um, I sometimes get the feeling that. Um, like in here, it says somewhere that I think it's probably in here. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, here I'll read a little little bit of this paragraph when when he's sort of thinking about who Mister Wolf is. Behind that roguish old face, there had always been the steady gaze of Belgarath the sorcerer, who had watched and waited as he had looked upon the folly of men and gods for seven thousand years. So I sometimes get the feeling that the sorcerers find the gods like spoiled children sometimes. <laughs> yeah, probably. Especially with that line, I think that you it makes you even wonder if in this world are the sorcerers in some way above the gods or well, I think is it just the way they perceive them? Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess they've got a stronger grasp on reality, but that's to be expected because gods don't live in reality. <laughs> they live in their own version of it, I'm sure. But like Not in the human world, you know, the the fact that Torak threw a tantrum because he wanted a stone that he couldn't have and didn't want him and kept hurting him, but he wanted it anyway, and started a war that ripped the world apart to get it. I mean, that sounds like a toddler having a throwdown tantrum because he couldn't have a bloody cookie or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely does. Yeah, getting the hiccups. Oh um, no! Do you need to <laughs> get a glass of water or something? No, I have my water right here. I'll just mute myself if I need to. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I get very loud <laughs> when I get hiccups. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <sighs> okay. So, yeah, we're, you know, he just is having a really long reflection on both Aunt Paul and, and Mr. Wolf. He's also remembering like what she did to Mark Jade seems mm -hmm. to have really bothered him like at a deep level. Well, um, do you think it's bothering him? I just think that he's like... Well, it says here that he shuddered at the memory of her despairing wail 
that cry somehow marked the point at which the world had become less solid, less sensible, and infinitely less safe. I think, I think, yes, I understand what you're saying, but I think that that is more about the change of his idea of who his aunt is than what she did to Marcia. Like there's this, talks about the brutal handed evenness that Polgara just gave her back her sight and took away her foresight um, Mm -hmm. when she passed this spell and just the way that she did it, it like, like she did in the earlier chapters with the carving knife and the boy who fell out of the tree. Oh, I guess it will just have to come off here. Right. Like yeah. This. yeah. I think it's, I think it's though her action, the way she did it is what's, yeah. you know, really yes. setting him, making him feel uneasy and yeah. his, his world becoming less safe is because he feels his aunt is actually like a dangerous person. Well, it does feel that way a little bit, doesn't it? Like there's this, mm-hmm. she can just do what she wants. Yeah, and she has a couple of times right in front of him. So yeah. <laughs> I think he might be even like, I hope she never does that to me, you know. Yeah, and it talks about him feeling uprooted, which I think it's touched mm-hmm. on before a little bit, but this is like like he just feels loose on the world. And and which which i think we we all do at some point in our young teenage years we're kind of trying to work out where we fit yeah i think every teenager has to go through that oh god i haven't uh, i think just, I, I i've gone through that every few years and i'm 46 <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it just starts at teenage year mm-hmm. but it's um of- yeah go ahead no, no, I'm just, um, I'm, so he's walking, we'll just get on with the chapter now. So we, we've, we'll, he's walking through the ruins of this old, old city, this centuries old ruins, you know, climbing over things and just digging around and poking around and it's snowy and it's very slushy. And um, so he's got it wearing his cloak pulled up right, right around him. And, mm-hmm. and oh, the last thing we, we probably need to touch on, like at the end of this contemplation, he's feeling totally uprooted, except for the one thought that he has that is kind of like his, like he's using that as his, his anchor, so that he can feel solid. Right, right. About about finding um, the the person that killed his parents and killing that person or yeah. whatever they are. Yeah, correct. So I'm not sure. I'm not like I, I know that this is a fantasy novel. And, you know, it's all, this is the way, this is the story, you know, the whole revenge and killing and I'm just like the, 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 and I guess I need to, I have to equate what he's feeling with, uh, well, it would be something different in our world, you know, for us, the feeling uprooted and the con- focusing on you know, the one thing that you really want to do, like you want to get out of home and go to art school or whatever the thing is that, you know, you really want to do or you, you know, just to show them that you can do it, like that bit of revenge built into whatever it is that you want to do. Mm-hmm. I think I'm think I think I'm overthinking it. <laughs> it definitely relates to, I mean, I think it's, the emotions are all the same when you feel. Yeah um but i think for us it's more of a choice at that point when we're uprooting ourselves from our normal life into a new life whether yeah. it's going to college starting a new career or whatever yeah, leaving true. home for the first time 
where this was all kind of thrown at him he didn't have a choice i guess this so. the, the framework of these kinds of stories helps us to gives us the exaggerated space mm-hmm. to fit our own little lives into the context of a grand adventure yeah that's what i like about fantasy especially as you can make the emotions the situation of the emotions so extreme yeah because it's fantasy yeah 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 and that's why i love writing fantasy because i can go put my emotional experience and just like and it helps me kind of it's a catharsis it's this healing stuff it's almost like blowing it up into this huge like oh my god with the character yeah just helps it clear out is that something that is possible for you to do like i'm just going back to your not feeling inspired can you Mm -hmm. let yourself loose knowing that you can go back and edit like and put all of your frustrations all of your everything that's going on and pour it into your page and just write like you're never going to get to write again you know, whenever you get 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just do that and pour it all in there. Use it as fuel, hun. Is that, if it's possible? It is. I'm just mentally in a place right now where I can't find the pull to even do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll talk more about it at the end of in my prophecy, okay. but okay. it is. That's fine. But it's yeah. Like a mother motherhood and writer are battling it out right now oh okay okay yep 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 getcha so yep so garion's happy that he's he's feeling very confident in that one solid fact he's going to find this person and he's going to kill him no matter what else is happening in his life and what else is changing and who's the sorceress and who's not he's going to kill this person so that's fine (laughs) it's all good and fine yeah so he he sees he sees aunt paul and miss mr wolf talking together and then he goes up to them and they're talking about how it's all say pardon does it say what they're talking about well it doesn't say what they had been talking about it just says that you know they were having a private conversation apart from the others and aunt paul had a look of timeless regret on her face as she looked around the ruins and so I, because I know the backstory of <laughs> Polgar, I don't, I know Polgar's backstory. Um, but the, but like the, so you talk about her reminiscences, if you like. So I don't go too far. Oh well, I have really no idea what she could be. All I know is that when they see Garion coming mr wolf says there he is now which makes me believe that they were talking about him in that moment yeah right so whatever it was that she was looking that way for maybe was related to garyan and i guess we could just keep it light you know it's apparent that she used to live there and she's really sad that it's all ruined now mm-hmm. and she talks about the fact that it didn't need to be destroyed she could have saved it but you get a few sort of, um, I mean, it's uh, Mr. Wolf's like, well, you sometimes just have to let things go. And the next thing, so he goes up to them and he sort of, Mr. Wolf asks him about his sword. <laughs> yeah. You know, do you, does that, 
really uh-huh. feel better wearing that. So someone's get, Barrack gave him a sword for his Aristide present. Yeah. Right. I know. Mr. Wolf doesn't seem to approve of it at all. But it's interesting. And that I was, oh, yeah, go. No, I was just going to say that I'm surprised Aunt, Aunt Paul defended him with that. Uh-huh. When Mr. Wolf was kind of like, that doesn't really suit you, you know? So it was interesting. Yeah, but I kind of, I don't know. I mean, I guess because it's just come out of talking about the killer of his parents and that Gary has like a vendetta now. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Aunt Paul pretty much feels the same way that Gary does about that situation, whereas Mr. Wolf's like, yeah, well, you know, things happen. <laughs> right. So maybe they have a common thing to side on now. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe he, maybe he just takes the longer view about everything. <laughs> you can be very objective. Yeah. So and it's, uh, so now we find out they're waiting for Heta. So that's why they're camped out in this place. They're waiting for Heta to bring the horses because they've got a long way to go and Mr. Wolf would rather spend a little time now getting really good stock than have a horse fall or founder halfway through their journey and have to stop later when it's much more inconvenient. That was, uh, but I think that goes back to when we learned about those horses in the first book, right? Yeah. About why they're better. Yep. Yep. And Hetar himself is um, part of Belgarath's, you know, fulfilling of the prophecy in some way that we don't really know about. Yeah. Right. And um, oh, and the other thing that happens here is we find out Garen's been given a medallion to wear around his neck on a chain. Yeah, that was the part. Obviously, I have no idea what it means right now, but the whole conversation Aunt Paul has with him about it, mm-hmm. it needs to be, it has to be next to your skin because he wants to wear it over his shirt. Mm-hmm. She said, no, it has to be next to your skin. And he's just complaining that it's not comfortable and she's basically explained to him well it's not really an ornament you know it's has a purpose and it has some power that needs to be respected though i don't know what it is yet i totally (laughs) could have put that for my magic i forgot all about it shit (laughs) yeah i did too (laughs) (laughs) yeah so Um, it turns out that um aunt paul and mr wolf both wear medallions as well mm mm-hmm that it was rubbing at Gary's neck and he sort of was was complaining about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like how he asked them too. Does it mean something that we all wear them? And all he gets is that it's a family custom. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be quiet. It's just a family custom. And then (laughs) Mr. Wool's like, well, if it makes you feel any better, it took your aunt 10 years to keep hers on all the time. I was forever telling her to put it back on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I don't need I don't know that we need to go into all that now father Aunt Paul says coolly oh here we go yeah this is the place you were talking about earlier yeah <laughs> yeah I enjoyed how how Aunt Paul like recounted how she remembered it oh remember yeah. so this is like a kingdom or is it more like a Vowakun is a city it's an old city. it's an ancient city and Garion's sort of like, it's so, we must see it away. He says, it's like a graveyard. It's all gloomy. And then Art Paul sort of gets very nostalgic and says it wasn't always like this and describes it so beautifully. I can 
Yeah, it's just beautiful. This scene, and of course I'm going back to my references, but it really reminded me of Game of Thrones. Did it? And yeah, and I won't, I mean, the season's over, but I know you don't want to be spoiled, so I won't. No, that's okay, you can but, talk about it, sweetheart. Yeah, well, it's just in the last season, and I haven't read the books of it yet, but in the show, it reminded me so much of King's Landing, which is a big city in that world, just like this. But we see it, we actually see it get destroyed, mm. get burnt to the ground mm. by a dragon from the character that we've come to know and love and trust, and she just loses her mind, mm. burns the city down. So I felt a lot of like King's Landing in this description in mm. a way, except King's Landing wasn't really that, remembered that beautiful, I don't mm. think. But it was like if you ask the right person, like Cersei, for example, she probably would have had a similar kind of reaction describing it. Oh, well, wow. um, okay. But yeah, it just really reminded me of the cities and then there's crumbled into rubble now and the memories of the people that used to be there. Mm -hmm. um, but they were just brutally slaughtered, which sounds like that's what happened here, right? Yeah, well, it sounds like, and it sounds like Aunt Paul was very, very happy here and spent a, yeah, you know, she. It's. I almost wondered if, like, she was in love here. That's a very good question. <laughs> it almost felt that like that to me. It does, doesn't it? Mm. There's a sense of heart of heartbreak when she mm -hmm. talks about it, which could just be that she's heartbroken that the place is gone, but yeah, she speaks right. about it as she would speak about a lover yeah and, so yeah um, that's the part where where wolf uh mr wolf kind of like you know is is trying to tell her not to worry about the fact that you could have saved it or you could have stopped it and this is this is actually an interesting part so she talks about how beautiful it was and then but then the asturians came mm -hmm. with their bows and you would be surprised how little time it takes to tear down something that took a thousand years to build and so yeah. that's an interesting little piece considering the character we're about to meet mm. and so you know they talk about that for a little bit and she's still gloomy wolf sort of says let's just go inside it's the fog's making everyone gloomy and then i like i really like this part when art pole kind of puts her arm around gary it's happened a few times so far in the story have you noticed yeah so you're referring to the fact that she's putting her arm around him and like a sense of comfort yeah and, happened a few times. and the distance like there have been times when Garion's felt really distanced from aunt paul but she'll just sort of touch yeah. him or put her arm around him or kiss him on the cheek and all of a sudden it all vanishes and mm -hmm. he feels close to her again and all that distance has disappeared and everything's okay yeah yeah, I think that's the magic of being a mom. Yeah. <laughs> like you you can do that, you know. Yep. Just send that energy into your child and yep. Then it's all good. Yep. <laughs> so this is when they enter the chamber. Yes. Right? They're camping in the bottom, in the like all of the towers, all of the buildings are all fallen down. But they found a room that's sort of held together 
like um, with roots and tree, you know, bits of trees have grown up around through the stones and it's the roots of the trees that are holding the stones together now. They've got a nice big round room and they've got a fire lit at one end and Dernick built a fireplace for them and a crack in the mm-hmm. wall is serving as their chimney. And um, Yeah. It just feels really cosy. Yeah, I was just going to say that. It seems like a really cosy place. So, yeah, I really like that scene. I could really, I can also visualize that so clearly mm-hmm. of them all sitting there and then Aunt Paul, like, kind of nagging at Gary to change his socks or his stockings, we call them. Mm-hmm. His hose. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> his shoes. They're all wet from the snow, so. And then Veggie just cooks dinner. Mm-hmm. And then it's the next morning. Uh-huh. Like Gary ventures out again on his own. That's when he enters or passes through like the entrance to the yeah. city, I think. Yeah, so he's sort of he, he's taken it upon himself to go out every morning and wait for Hetar. And he knows he doesn't have to, but he's really kind of quietly grateful that none of his friends has pointed out the fact that he really doesn't have to. <laughs> and so, you know, he's got a purpose and he goes out and mm-hmm. waits for Hetar every day by the by the gate. It's all foggy, he can't see, and so he decides to listen and see what he can hear. So is there any, like, purpose later to this conversation he overhears or is it just kind of like a fun little passing conversation how do you feel about it what do you think it seemed i mean i guess the part about the tax when he's talking about the taxes took all our food that will probably become something later why they're eating like boiled tree roots they don't have food but yeah, I have otherwise would have no idea. So I, I, I hesitate to give you answers, because, but you are very, I will, I will simply say you're very, very intuitive. So yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so he overhears the whole conversation. It's kind of sad mm-hmm. in ways. Like this sounds yeah, like they're all starving. I mean, I get pissed off when I read this because part of it is, you know, one of them's eating tree roots with grass. Mm-hmm. And the other one says, oh, we're eating our shoes. And I just really am cross with the author for putting that in there because it just so trivialises the conversation. It makes it into something comical rather than the um, pathetic thing that it really is. Mm-hmm. And I just, every time I read that, I, get, I think, oh, he just could have written something else and it would have maintained, it, it just didn't need to be there, the eating our shoes. Like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I didn't I didn't see it that way but yeah I took it literal I was like oh man that sucks they're eating their shoes because they're so hungry well so did I <laughs> no seriously so did I but I'm just like well you wouldn't you'd go and find something green or you know like tree roots or grass or leaves or something you wouldn't eat your fucking shoes I just get so cross when I read that <laughs> I feel offended. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean they're talking about one of them lost his wife and his daughter mm. because of all of this. So uh, yeah. They, she starved. So the wife starved after my lord took our son for a war, for a battle. Oh, the son. And just, yeah, they talk, they talk about, they just talk so uh, in such an unemotional, flat, matter of fact way. And that's the thing that Garion really takes f- 
from this conversation. The fact that everything is just so matter of fact, whether they live or die is totally out of these people's hands. Maybe they'll see each other mm-hmm. if we live. If, if we live, yeah, we'll see each other again. And it's just so sad. Right. And then he right. hears another voice singing a song of war and battle and a rich throbbing voice coming through the fog. And Garion gets very angry because he's very sure that this stupid fellow singing this stupid song has never had to eat boiled tree roots and his wife has never died of starvation. So he gets all of the anger that he feels about this conversation that he's overheard. He just channels at this new voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we get to see this person approach on a horse who's, you know, seems to be. What do you think of that? Yeah, what do you think of the um, description of him? <laughs> I need to find it again. Okay, so he had reddish gold hair. Before that. Uh, oh. He had a fur lined coat, cloak, a uh, long curved bow slung over his shoulder. Before that, the sentence before that. He was a young man dressed in a yellow hose and a bright red jerkin. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Every time I read yeah. that, I have to stop and close my eyes and I go, oh, that looks really bad. <laughs> <laughs> it is something you would envision at like a circus or something like that. <laughs> so he's looking and great. then he has reddish, reddish gold hair on top of that. So it's like the red, the red top is clashing with his different shade of reddish gold hair. He's wearing a pointed <laughs> cap with a feather in it. Yes, yeah, so and I'm picturing like a Robin Hood. Yeah, kind like. of. Hey. <laughs> because of the bow. Yeah, and the feather. Yep. Um, yeah, so Garen kind of just watches him for a little bit, approaching, and then decides as he's passing by, he's going to pull him off his horse. Yep. And they kind of just start going at each other. And isn't that just so typical of a teenage plan? Pulling on his horse and then what do you do? Mm -hmm. Who who knows? I have no clue. No clue what to do now. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe he thought he stood a chance at fighting. I don't know. I don't know. I think the sword's gone to his head. (laughs) It says he like seems, Garen seems to hold his ground all right for a little bit. Well, I guess he's strong and he's, you know, got quick, quick reflexes and what have you but it's very very clear very quickly that this other person is much more skillful at sword play than Garion is he's had quite a few chances to like end the fight but hasn't and Garion yeah. gets kind of a bit of a thrill and starts grinning at at this person who grins back and it sort of start it becomes this this like play session rather than a fight yeah right until Mr. Wolf comes along and breaks it out. Um, <laughs> yes. Right. And so we see instantly that this new person knows who Belgrath is. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and Wolf knows who he is. So Wolf, Wolf so. names him. Like Wolf marches up and names Lel Doran. What are you doing now? With what little sense you had dribbled out the end of your ears or something. I don't know. Something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then Garion realises who it is, that they've been expecting him because they're there waiting for Heta and Leldoran. And he's like, oh, shit. Right. 
And so he gets his lying skills mm-hmm. out to practice. Yes, he does. Steps on little okay. Doran's foot. <laughs> Grandfather, yeah. we weren't really fighting. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. And it's it's obvious that Wolf doesn't believe any of it though. <laughs> yes. But it's, it's so beautiful. It's just still so lets beautiful. it go. Yeah. It's such it just lets it go. Oh really? Okay, right. And then Aunt Paul yeah. comes. Yeah, and, and like he Garion goes to say other things, but Silk's fingers flick at him in the secret language. He's just let it lie. Mm-hmm. Always keep a lie simple. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I like that. Yeah, so that's fine. And so he talks about, so this is the son of the Baron of Wildantor and he'll be joining the party. Mm-hmm. And before they get started, Doran sort of says to Belgrath, oh, I've got this other commitment. It's really important and I'm pledged to this thing of utmost urgency and Belgrath like to see, oh, well, tough titties. <laughs> this is more important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's then after all, that is when Aunt Paul comes out. Yeah. And just kind of asking what's going on. <laughs> and so raises an eyebrow at the very colourful young man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just the way Wolf goes, it's a disguise. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it just seems really funny. Yeah. And, but apparently he's the best bowman in Asturia. And he is another part of the prophecy by the sounds of it. And then they talk about this thing called the Marin Codex. Polgara and Belgarath talk about um, the, the fact that him being present in the party fulfills a passage in the Marin Codex. And she talks about how it's all, you know, there's a lot of bullshit in there. And Wolf's like, yeah, well, I've seen it come true a little bit too often for it to be complete bullshit. So, you know, just I'll do it where I can. Mm-hmm. And Gary doesn't know yeah. what he's talk, what they're talking about, and so he looks at Silk. Uh-huh. Silk doesn't know what he's talk, what they're talking about either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt reading it all. I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, it seems like wrapping up the chapter that Gary and Lelderen are kind of like now on their way, maybe to becoming like little buddies. I think so. Buddies. Yeah. <laughs> They go off to catch the horse together and Garion apologizes and, and Lelderin's kind of like, I can't believe you lied to Belgarath. Garion's like, well, I didn't really lie, but you know, that stuff takes really long time to explain. And uh, yeah, they go off laughing together and it's just, it's nice. There's this, it's the chapter starts with Garion feeling really kind of alone and quite despondent and it finishes and he's got a new friend. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that. I can see it's funny now, the more I learn about writing, Mm -hmm. the more I can tell in good storytelling Mm -hmm. when a chapter, even the scenes are done right. Yep. Because the character moves from one place to another in each scene. This is a positive shift, yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then some chapters are a negative shift. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So good. Oh, so good. All right. All right. That was a long discussion. I know. I'll but... edit all the silent bits. and. Oh, yeah. We had okay. a lot of pauses. But now we get to look at the magic of the chapter. What was yours? 
Well, I should have said the medallion, but I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Written down here. I really like the way that Aunt Paul talks about her time in Vowakun and when she's talking about it, we touched on it a little bit in our conversation, but she just seems to conjure up the, the, she makes it live again. Like the way she talks about it, I can see the ladies sitting in the walled garden, throwing bright red roses over the, over the wall to the young men singing to them. And it's just, yeah, I just, I find that magical. And I don't know it, that's the magic of, telling stories anywhere like a really good storyteller is casting spells yeah yeah i agree i think that was a it was a really good little scene there with her um remembering all of that the way he described it was really colorful and her depth of feeling really came across Mm -hmm. yeah definitely that's a good one um, I also didn't choose the medallion, but how did we uh, forget about that? <laughs> I don't know. For me, it just was a brief mention, whereas the one I chose was a constant throughout the chapter, so I remembered it. <laughs> and I chose the the mist or the fog that's floating around the ruins mm-hmm. of the city because it just had a magic. Like that's what magic looks like to me something like that so okay. yep, yep, yep. I could just visualize myself there and be like this is magical you know so that's what I chose cool okay real life relating mine is my personal insight is when I was on holidays in Ireland a couple of years last year year before last year we visited a ruined monastery and like climbing through it was it wasn't as ruined as Vowakun is ruined but like climbing through all of the rooms and it was like surrounded by this old ancient graveyard and like it was so cool I just yeah. like and then there have been other places we've gone to stone circles and like ruins there's another place there it had like a like a round tower and like these places exist and you could go and like touch the stones like I would just go and like lean my cheek against the stones or lean my ear and just like try and listen to all of the history that you know these stones have witnessed oh I love it I love it so that's really cool. Like that's exactly why I want to travel to Ireland or somewhere in Europe, you know, because there's still those places like here, not as much like they, like San Diego, especially anything yeah. they can tear down, they tear down and build and like nothing is left. Yeah. And you've got like so, buildings here that are, oh, stone circles that are thousands of years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. That's amazing. And what's yours? Uh, I chose the little battle that Garion and Leldrin had yeah, because yeah. it reminded me a lot of me and my cousin when we were kids because he, he's a boy and, you know, we were like a brother and sister growing up. I mentioned him before on here, yeah. but we used to fight like a brother and a sister too. And there were moments where he, and I remember he usually would instigate him. <laughs> and at the times I hated it. Like I would just be like, 
leave me alone. But then he would trigger me and he knew he was going to trigger me. <laughs> so that would start that kind of a little battle play between us, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes being physical, sometimes just like yelling at each other. And, yeah. but it was all, all really in good fun at the end of it, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's sick. I relate to that so much. I'm the oldest of five yeah. siblings. <laughs> I relate to that oh, so wow. much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. <sighs> okay. Well, now we're up to prophecy speaks. Yeah. Did we want to follow up with last week? I don't think so. I, what was, I haven't listened to last week's. I don't yeah, I haven't either. So we can't really follow up. So unless I sort of do a bit of research before and put it into the sheet, like do a little summary into the sheet so that we can follow it up the next week. Um, when I'm not on holidays and got my ass into gear, I might do that. <laughs> we'll start following up. <laughs> Uh-huh. yeah okay so uh, did you want to go did you want did you want me to go first yeah you can go first okay i'm going to use uh, jenny to the dark goddess by jane meredith for a number of different reasons it's appropriate there's been some stuff going on i'm being deliberately vague i know that sorry about that guys <laughs> people you know in case they ever actually listen to this podcast, which, oh, you know. So the person who gave me this book has been on my mind this week. And if, you, if you've listened to the first season, uh, you might remember that um, I talked about when I did Prophecy Speaks one time, I opened it up and the card fell out and the person who had given me the book was the person that I was doing the prophecy about and it was all very magical and about that and I'd forgotten <laughs> she's been on my mind this week a little bit and so I'll use this book and my question is okay I would like to tie to to tie up some what feels like loose ends with my online courses project which I am, which I am, not going to do much with um, for the foreseeable future until I get some books written, and that's still like something that I feel quite pulled about. Like it's that one that I, you know, mm-hmm. you know yeah. it was that one <laughs> that I that I knew I needed to be pull back from, and I was resisting because I care about the people that I was, you know, doing it with and. And yeah. I still, I, that's I've just kind of left that, and I know that it's not. I, you know, I I need to do something with that. So I just want a bit of a, bit of a nudge, bit of a push, bit of a kick in the bum. Thank you. That would be great. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh, I've opened it up to a ritual. Oh, hmm. what ritual is it? Oh, it's. Let me see. The turning point. <laughs> uh, the turning 
point. Okay, so I have a whole ritual here. The intention of this ritual is to recognize your own turning point in the underworld where your ascent begins. <laughs> <laughs> this process is designed to take place after the listening to the dark goddess ritual earlier in this section. And when you have completed all you need to do in the underworld on this particular journey. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So you know what? I don't have to go through the whole ritual to no, it's, it lays out some different things in a way to, to, to do it. I think this is the point. <laughs> so what is your interpretation of it? So I'm at the turning point yeah. and um, I need to recognize that it is my own turning point. Mm -hmm. This is, this is, this is my choice, my decision and I need to decide where I turn and begin to ascend again. And the way that I interpret this is I'm ascending back into my own, uh, my books and my writing. Yeah. Um, but, to, but before I, but it, in the doing or in the turning, you know, it, it needs to take place after I have listened to the, to what is here for me to understand about myself. Like it's not just to turn away from something and go into something else. It's really go into what's happening, absorb what's happening, understand why you did things, why you made the choices, what, you know, why you've been here and take that with me as I ascend into the next um, things that I do. Yeah. Did you pick anything up? Um, that's about what I understood from it as well. I mean, what I was mm -hmm. feeling is that, yeah, it is at some point you have to finally just decide like, this is my path. Like it's my path to make and I can't always, um, even if I've made a decision and regret it, like, and I have to leave that decision behind, you know, if there's other people involved, it's not, you're not really responsible for how they, feel about it it's well I'm not nasty. responsible at all no not at all and it's about embracing mm. you know your own journey fully yeah saying like that's it like I can yeah love them in the past and keep that love there but I have to move on mm. <sighs> that was a good one yeah that was I really like that mm. I'm using this week a uh, life's golden ticket again. I've used it a few times. I've always gotten really good ones from this. Okay. So I thought it'd be a good one this week because I need uh, some uplifting. I'm trying to figure out how to like word everything I'm filling into something tangible. Um, so I think from my prophecy, my intention that I want to put out is just. I don't know how to get myself out of this funk <laughs> or good. something. Well, I, okay. So how do how do maybe some, I don't know. I don't like to suggest because this is your question, but you perhaps, perhaps something like what is this situation trying to show me? Yeah. See, that's much better than mine. <laughs> 
Okay, let's do that. What is the situation trying to show me? Uh, okay, he continued. Hey, listen, sometimes you got to call it like it is. There's no real you versus fake you. No real self versus false self. You are who you are, wholly and completely. All your emotions and behaviors are part of who you are now. Unless you accept every aspect of that, you're lying to yourself. You're avoiding yourself. Maybe you don't like parts of who you are, portions of what you just saw, but those are portions and parts of you until you change them. You've got to admit that even the bad parts are parts of you. Otherwise, you'll never change. That was you we just saw, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's the end of that little chapter. So, <laughs> I mean, I think that's pretty straightforward. Kind of like what you were telling me at the beginning of the episode, too. Um, I'm really struggling right now with the parts of myself that I don't like. Yeah. That I'm seeing come up again. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's just time to really understand that those parts are probably going to always be part of me until I'm willing to change them. But even still, they'll probably be there. It's just a matter of like not letting them be as prominent as, um, like to come up so strongly and just throw me off course. Mm -hmm. I want to get to a point where that doesn't happen mm -hmm. as often. Um, but to not try to get rid of the parts I don't like necessarily, but just to find a way to work through them like quickly, but also with patience mm -hmm. for myself. Okay. <laughs> so there's a part in there that encourages you to call it like you see it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when we react in certain ways or get triggered by certain things, everything swells up and explodes in our head. And we tell ourselves stories about uh, the, the people being inconsiderate or doing things that we don't like. They know we don't like them and they still do it. And, it, you know, they should know better or, you know, Things happen out here and it all sort of explodes and carries on in our head. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if we are present enough to say, hey, I noticed that it seems like this is happening or it seems like you're doing the such and such or can I talk to you about this? If you let the thing out of your mouth and like address it, call it what it is, like call it for what it is. Mm -hmm. there's less pressure in here okay because not only are you dealing with the reaction you're having to the thing that you don't like you're also reacting to the fact that you might be beating yourself up for not saying something beating yourself up for reacting this way because what are you reacting this way for so it kind of you lock it all up inside instead of calling things what they are and expressing yeah. how you're feeling. Yeah, I can definitely try that and just kind of say it out loud to myself, things that trigger me, because it is like, I love my family more than anything, but they are my biggest trigger 
And I think that's pretty normal because mm-hmm. you live together <laughs> and you get, you can't like leave. This is your home and their home. And when you need space, it's not always an option to leave when there's little kids involved, you know, you don't yeah. want them to feel like I'm no. leaving because of you. Right. No. So, and it's not that at all. It's just, yeah, I'm, I'm working on understanding that the things I perceive as problems are only problems because I feel the need to change something. And if I can just, um, that's a big one. What you just said, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to work through that with myself, but then in the moment when something happens, uh, I have gotten better, but there's still times and it's happening still almost daily. And I just want, I don't want it to happen daily anymore. I want it to be like a once in a rare while that I actually let a trigger like get me yeah. in that space, you know? Yeah. So and there are so many things that feed into why we react. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. That's why it's so hard to like pinpoint stuff sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, that, that was a helpful prophecy for sure. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, so prediction for the next chapter, I think my, for last chapter, I was thinking, mm-hmm. I was a little bit close because I said, he's gonna, okay, we're gonna pick up at some point in Gary's journey, which we did, where mm-hmm. he's a small leap ahead, emotionally and physically from where we left him, and he was, and that maybe he'll see some more battle soon, and uh-huh. he did. I think that, that I'm going to give that to you. You got it. It's been a long time since I got one. <laughs> Very good. Okay. What's so, going to happen next chapter? Next chapter, I put that Garion and Lelderin, Lelderin will mm-hmm. begin to bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Wolf will begin hinting or Garion will overhear what their plans are like as soon as they hetar comes what are they going to do next mm-hmm. um and maybe that somebody might actually discover that they're hiding out there waiting and something might happen like a danger type okay thing. cool we'll find out next chapter yep and hashtags i forgot me too let me just have a think mm-hmm. Not really fighting. <laughs> oh, no, no. You know what? Eating our shoes. <laughs> there you go. Eating our shoes. All right. Darling listeners, if you are still with us at the end of this uh, episode, thank you so much. We love you. Hit us up with the hashtag eating our shoes. Um, and you can find us. On all the social medias, <laughs> Facebook, we love Facebook, although there's some ridiculousness happening in there with the group that I created and I don't know if I can see what's going on. I don't know. There might be a complete overhaul of everything in Facebook. We'll see. But at the moment, you can find us at Belgarid and Beyond on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can send emails to Beyond at gmail.com. And um, you can find everything about the show at our website, 
Belgariad and beyond dot goddesskindle.com. And so there's lots of clickable links there and all of the show notes and links to all the shows and everything. Yeah. And also, as we always ask, if you could please leave reviews on iTunes if you're enjoying the show, because it really makes all the difference for us. So Mm -hmm. really appreciate that. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. There we go. There we go. All done. I'm so sorry I was late. I can't believe can't believe what I'm just sitting here watching the great British Bake Off. Got your message. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> That's funny. Oh.